Welcome to Sastery in the Making, the podcast that features the people who made the software world what it is today and the leaders who are shaping the future of technology. Here's your host, Matt Wallach. Okay, I'm super excited to talk to you today. We are going to talk all things content marketing. I am excited to be joined by the CEO of Verblio, Steve Pockross. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Great to be here. Good. I am, I am thrilled to have you here. I'm looking forward to this conversation, looking forward to learning more about what you guys are doing and how it can help myself and the listeners. Uh, for all of you out there, I want to make sure you understand who Steve is. This guy is sharp. He's the CEO of Verblio, and Verblio is a multimedia content creation platform, and that powers content marketers and SEO agencies. So they do a lot of great work producing incredible content. It's also a SaaS system itself. And Steve has a lot of really smart management and, and marketing chops. In fact, he was part of the early management team at LiveOps where, you know, and that was a marketplace services pioneer company. And he really spearheaded the creation of uh, their, their charitable aspect, which was the award-winning LiveOps Foundation. So he knows his stuff. He's an excellent leader. He gives back. And Steve, it's a delight to have you on the program. So welcome. Thanks so much. Thanks for the kind words. Absolutely. So tell me about what's been going on lately at Verblio and what you have coming up. Great. Well, just like all of us, there's a lot going on. So the way that, that I usually answer that question is, uh, so we're a marketplace SaaS services company, which means that we bring together the combination of SaaS with skilled labor talent in a marketplace and the professional services to plug that into the level. So anytime I get asked this question, I generally answer it with how, what we're thinking about on both sides of the market. So we're always thinking about how do we deliver better quality, the next level of services uh, that our clients are looking for on the content marketing front, uh, and also a better overall user experience in classic SaaS fashion. And then our writer side, we are always thinking about, so our content creators, creators are mostly writers, but they're also video creators. Um, and we're thinking, how do you create great skilled freelance uh, worker um, opportunities for the new for the new economy? Uh, we think that this is an incredible opportunity for companies to leverage both on the client side and building companies. And so we're trying to create them uh, more lucrative jobs, more jobs, and also career developing jobs so that you can come to uh, Verblio. And we want to be the chosen place for the best writers to come, which we think will feed back to our clients, too. That's amazing. And you talked about your writers, you talked about the system. I, I really think, and I have several clients who are using this hybrid services and SaaS model, and, and you guys are doing that really, really well. And a lot of people have a theory that this is kind of uh, uh, the next big wave is this services SaaS combination to make sure you really can take care of a market and take care of the the, the players in that market. So you guys really could be called a pioneer of this model at Verblio. You guys have done it well and kind of spearheaded it. So what would you say are the advantages and disadvantages of that, that hybrid SaaS services model? So, um, well, I like the idea of pioneer. I'm not um, I, being at LiveOps when, in the early 2000s when we first started off, before there were words like marketplace, before there were words like cloud, SaaS, gig economy, and all of these things, as we were trying to figure out this model, we knew a couple things. We knew that we had a unique um, technical opportunity that we could route calls to people's homes. And by doing that, how do we invert the business model? And so the business model follows the technology or starts with the technology and then leads the technology. 
And then we had the, the, the people that went along with it. So basically we had all of the components to create Uber, um, but we decided to focus on call centers. And so there's a couple of good lessons in there. Um, but the most is that you can create in a completely different capability that doesn't exist out there. Uh, I think we hit it really early. So I think LiveOps was one of the early pioneers and we are trying to rethink what that strategy should be. Um, when you think of like the two big trends in gig economy work, I think of the buckets of being Uber, where you have hyper commoditized labor, where people are just widgets in the machine and the machine delivers the service and the user experience is great. And it really follows some of the main tenants of SaaS. You're delivering availability, scalability, affordable price, and the service just works. But people are really in the background. Um, and there's been a lot of work on how to make that better. Um, and then you have the other side, which is more of like the marketplace kind of come and find your talent here. You've got your Upworks, Fivers, um, Craigslist. And I think those are all great, but they just replicate the same challenge of every other employment opportunity. You need to find the right person. You need to cur curate them themselves, develop an individual relationship. They may or may not be available after you sink all this effort into them uh, when you actually need them. Uh, and it creates this level of frustration of man, I had access to the best talent, but I didn't actually get to use them. So I really think the next evolution is how do you bring this together with skilled labor? So you have that deep expertise of the SaaS uh, world where you go deep into a work type, you have a better user experience, you understand that work type better than anybody else and offer that availability and scalability to your clients in a way that nobody else can. But with the scaled the skilled labor that's already curated, already motivated to deliver for those clients. So you can deliver the entire end of your spectrum without having to hire more people internally and do it on your end. Um, so I do think this is the future uh, of a big movement. I think right now there's companies like Top Coder that are doing this with coding. How do you outsource coding development? Uh, there's companies like Testlio, which uh, focus on the QA aspect of things that you wouldn't normally think that you could outsource because they required so many, uh, so much skilled labor to go with it. So uh, I hope we're at the beginning of a trend and a lot of your listeners start to create companies too, because uh, as they say, if you're the only one in your space, you don't actually have a space. Yeah, that's, that's very true. You really don't. Um, and we can get into a whole different discussion on category creation to see if you could create that space. But that's for another day, another time. Uh, so tell me, you know, you talk about creating this content. How should a, a content marketing strategy fit into an overall marketing plan? What are your thoughts, Steve? So... So one, I'll, I'll just preface this by saying, so I run a content creation platform company. So what we do is we create, uh, we have a new model for how to create that platform. I am not the expert on content marketing, but we do get to observe 2000 of our clients that are working actively every day. And we get to observe how the best marketers use content. Uh, and so my, my background and my point of view is very influenced by that, plus how we use our own content. So I think content is the, I mean, this is, Part of the reason that I'm here is I believe it should be the core of your of your marketing strategy. Um, all of your your story is your strategic narrative in your company. Um, the uh, I was just talking to strategic narrative expert uh, Andy Raskin this week, who is reminding me of just the importance of this. And you got to get your story down, and then every piece of your story needs to come out through each piece of content. And if you're telling that in an authentic way and actually answering the questions to your clients, but also doing it with a specific point of view that comes from your company, why you're different, why you think what they should be doing is different and you're guiding them, I think you're going to close more clients. And so there's a, a couple aspects of how to think about content strategy. You have your um, kind of what are your basics? 
Like there's the, uh, do you want to be a lifeline company where this is just one of your marketing channels? And for that, if it's really true that a lot of marketer B2B marketers quote the fact that your average prospect is going to look at 30 pieces of your content before they actually make their buying decision, then you better have really good content because most people just think about it as SEO and not about closing your funnel and all the other advantages. Um, and the other advantages include if you incorporate your target clients into your content, your target clients are going to like you more and you're giving them something free. If you have a podcast where you bring them on and they start talking about it, you not only get to have them kind of be a representative for you as opposed to trying to sell to them, you're also learning from them every time you talk to them and they're giving you guidance on how to be, uh, how to build better. So uh, step one, think more about the advantages of content beyond you have your basics, which is one uh, you have to at least have your core uh, core 30 pieces of content that everyone's going to answer and then the next question for you is, uh, and Rand Fishkin's kind of ver- vision of the T-shaped marketer, which for those of you less familiar with it, I, I follow all the time, which basically says marketing has gotten so damn complicated. You could only be good and go deep in like one or two areas. And every marketer just is going to need an ecosystem of great partners to deliver the rest. And then you strategically have to choose how many of those you can afford to do at any given time. So Um, our company invested deeply in content marketing at the beginning. It was founded by a journalist who wrote five blogs a week, every single week for the first eight years of the company. Uh, and now we bring in 1200 unique organic clients every single year without selling. Uh, and so there's that classic line, which is that, uh, uh, I think uh, Andy Crestadina just said, which is advertising is temporary and content is is permanent. Uh, If you're in it for the long haul, then content is really, I can't advocate it more. And if you have VCs to backing you and you have to prove your point in six months, and if you don't have clients, you're going to die, then you should really use paid advertising. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, obviously, content is fantastic. You talked about that strategy of every day for eight years. Uh, So it takes a little bit of time. How, in your experience, how long does it typically take when you start working with a new client? I know this is a long game. You're not going to start writing content and tomorrow you get 80 leads. So how you know, long does that typically take? Wow. So this is, uh, this is the big question in, in the industry. And I think a lot of people are trying to ask that. So the general guidelines is it takes six months to get some real traction for your content. If you're thinking about it just with SEO. Um, and I think it's important not to. And uh, which I stressed on earlier. So six months plus is kind of like the general market guidelines on how to get real organic traffic and Google to notice you and start ranking you higher on pages. One of the big trends post pandemic, which I I'm going to jump to probably a further question that you would likely ask me is how is how is content changing is that. The impact of content needs to be more immediate is everything needs to be more immediate. There are just less long-term investments. And so uh, some of the ways that people are doing that are, One, the strategies I was talking about before, including more people in your content, making it more collaborative. This is another Andy Crestadina kind of thought point. This is how you get people engaged. You assemble your content by bringing in other thought leaders, other people who want to be involved, bring them press, um, do good for the outside world, and they'll come back to you. Um, The second is to be a data leader. So you're bringing in like, so uh, Verblio has access to 2000 marketers and 400 of them are top digital agencies. And so we did a big survey earlier this year and shared out a lot of the content about what are the best agencies doing? And that's really valuable because other agencies don't know. Um, and we actually wow. didn't know until we did that's this. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. And then there's other projects that are um, 
I think the other two veins of kind of what's more immediate are uh, concepts like uh, SEO refreshes. You already have a lot of content. How do you spruce up the stuff that's working and keep them as a vibrant type of content? So they keep ranking higher as opposed to just a one and done. Uh, and the other is the multi is multi-purposing your content, kind of the zero waste content philosophy of, hey, you're do- we're doing this podcast today. After we're done with this podcast, I'm going to have one of my writers write this up as a 1,500-word summary, and I'm going to have all of my ideas in there, and that's going to be a really easy way to repurpose it. Then I'm going to turn it into a video that goes on top of it, uh, and then I'm going to share it back with you. Um, so how can you use every piece of content that's in your company and make them more effective as opposed to starting from step one? Yeah, a lot of great stuff to unpack there. I mean, first of all, what you touched on at the end, the repurposing, I think too many times companies miss out on that opportunity. I mean, especially when you do a video, a podcast like this, there's so many opportunities to repurpose that across social media channels, across different mediums. I love how you how you mentioned that. And two, you mentioned the, you know, and I, I, I kind of uh, threw a tough one there with how long does it take to get the content. I, I like the lesson of, hey, don't think that just because you wrote a few articles over the course of a week or a month and nothing came in, that it's over and you shouldn't do that. It's all about persistence. It's all about consistency uh, and continuing to do your best to get that content out there to show that you're a, a leader, that you're an expert and continue to understand that you've got to k- just stay persistent in order to make it pay off for you. Would that be right? The way you say that just reminds me of the MP and the MVP concept of the lean startup, which is like, you're going to make an MVP and your content each time is going to be an MVP. And if you just killed the project right then, uh, nobody would ever launch a SaaS company. Yeah, very true. Very true. It's all about constant iteration, isn't it? It is. And then, and your belief that it's going to work. And it's harder to believe if you haven't seen it done before, but then just go talk to 10 people who have seen it done before and I'll help convince you. Absolutely. So let me ask you, you know, you guys, uh, you've been able to achieve a lot of strong growth despite being bootstrapped. Uh, and a lot of companies view that as, as uh, something that's very difficult to do. So what would you say are some of the strategies that helped you and Verblio get to where you are despite that, uh, that fact of being bootstrapped? That is a really interesting question. Uh, this is my first bootstrapped company that I've been in in the last 15 years that I've been with startups, and I learned a lot of different realities. And so I'll start out with a few of what those different realities are and then how we created this focus. Um, so first is if you're in a bootstrapped company, you don't get the you don't get the opportunity to make big wild bets. You have to make incremental bets that are going to pay off. In order to do that, you have to be really disciplined. Um, so you can't be like the VC company that needs one of your 20 companies to, to turn into a giant win uh, in order for you to make your portfolio. You have to think a lot more like a private equity investor, which is what's going to pay off. Most of them have to. And what that really does is affect your um, expected value of success calculations as you go into new endeavors. Um, the second is the fundamentals are just so much more important. You just got to get everything right. Um, so much uh I got an MBA and uh, I just remember all of our classes were about those big one-off decisions, like that moment where you're going to create your strategy or you're going to make that big investment. And so little of it was actually about executing. Actually, none of it was about sales, but very little of it was about executing. And it's 99% of what you're going to do. And so much of success is showing up every single day and getting those little things right. And so being bootstrapped makes that all the more valuable because that's what you have. Uh, and then the last is that you have to over deliver before you invest. 
which mm-hmm. is, you know, in the VC funded cycle, you get to invest when you got an idea, you think it's going to go big. You might be two years ahead of your market, one year in front of and bootstrap, you invest in your team a year after you've already delivered the project and you let them breathe again, which is, uh, you get the benefits of the control. Nobody's telling you what to do, making you take bets that you don't want to bet, but it comes at a uh, very disciplined cost. And so the way that we've been able to create, so we grew 50% last year. We'll probably go 30% through this uh, through this COVID crisis year, which I'm pretty happy about. Uh, started, yeah, a, started a little better than that. And uh, like, like all of us, uh, I feel deeply fortunate. It's like we got lottery tickets and... Uh, if you were in the right industry when COVID gave you the lottery ticket, then uh, you are very lucky. And I, and I, you know, I feel deep empathy for those of you who weren't, weren't in such a lucky position. So the three, the two things that I really thought about were strategy and team um, as I'm, as I'm trying to build a company. So imagine 2016, I take over this company from the two founders who brought it incredibly far away to about a $2 million um, SaaS services business. Uh, and then the next question was, how do you grow it? Uh, and so when you come on as a bootstrap company, you don't get very many investment options going back to the product side, but also on your team. So you can make maybe one big hire, somebody who knows what they're doing uh, and not, not knows what they're doing, but has, has experienced doing what they're doing before. And everyone else needs to be an A player who figures stuff out, who's passionate, who loves it, who represents your culture well, who can grow with the job, who will look for best practices in the industry that nobody else has. And how do you build that team? that then attracts other members of that team and feeds on itself until you have a culture. And that culture pays off in so many ways. It's very much like content marketing. It's very much like brand marketing. You have a great culture. Your great people don't leave. You don't spend as much time recruiting. They come to you naturally. Uh, You can actually afford them versus VC salaries. Um, And it really builds on itself. And then your clients like you more because you have a really enthusiastic team and they want to work with you. Uh, So I put a lot into that team. Uh, We were 12 people despite growing uh, pretty much from the time I took over in 16 till 19. So we basically went three years without any growth in staff, even as we doubled the size of the company. And then when we tripled it, uh, we finally uh, doubled the size of the company over the last year, which has been fun, uh, especially after you haven't had that opportunity for a while. Um, So step one was rebuild the team, the culture. You want this company to be exactly like to run the way you want people living up to what they say, being enthusiastic, going above and beyond. Uh, And the second is strategic choices, which is um, back to my original kind of like, what does it mean to be a bootstrapped company? We have a couple opportunities. So what is it going to take to succeed? So when this company was founded, it was really uh, much more in line with, uh, we just needed general writers to get our businesses ranked on Google. And so we didn't have to be that great at quality because just uh, having the affordability and the consistency was good enough to help our clients. And then it wasn't. Uh, one of my favorite stats at, uh, at this company is that when I took over in 16, less than 5% of our total content was a thousand words or more, which is kind of like the mid form, long form range. And now yeah. it's 65%. And that's wow. three years later. Wow. So, isn't that cool? I like that. Yeah, that's really cool. I love it. That's great stuff. In addition to it means you got to follow the market trend. It also means that like content is catching up with humanity. It's no longer like beating the Google machine in order to rank. It's like you have to write quality content that pe- your users actually want to read that answers their questions. Um, and so we focused on quality first. I just There's no business unless we're the premium brand for quality. Um, we focused on our writers. 
Uh, and then we focused on user experience on the SaaS side. We needed to be the easiest place to go. And we made one big strategic bet, which was uh, we moved from being the content creation platform for small businesses to focusing primarily on digital marketing agencies. And we carved out our niche and we said that we're going to provide this uh, this valuable market with what they need and focus our product around them. And that just made marketing easier. It made product easier and it really helped accelerate our sales. So those were kind of like the big steps in 2016. And every year after that has just been another iteration ever since. That's awesome. That's definitely a lot of great stuff that happened there. You know, I, I you've been a part of stop, uh, startups for a while. You know the game. You know what happens within them. What tips would you give to other startup founders as they begin their journey? So one goes back to our MVP discussion we just had, which was, uh, I think everyone thinks about the the MVP. There's like this, this uh, discussion point of it needs to be a most lovable product as opposed to like, if you just put <laughs> something out there, everyone's going to hate it and rip it apart for different reasons. Uh, and then my... Sorry, my uh, my other talking point is that I think you need to think about how you do that with as little product development effort as possible. Um, it's great to be a marketplace SaaS company because you can test out things so quickly without having to build a product to get there. Um, so the more you can think about your ability on that front is number one. Um, test it out, person behind the machine as or behind the curtain running the machine. Uh, it has a matured pejorative term of vaporware in a lot of the SaaS world is you're selling something that doesn't really exist. If you're you're going to deliver it and it takes a lot of people to deliver it, I don't think that really matters. The important point is that you're proving out the point, you're delivering value for the client before you go crazy on your getting ahead of yourself on the product. Uh, I got two more points. Uh, One is um, one client who pays you a lot of money is not a market to follow. Five who pay you a lot of market uh, money to follow a market means that you should build a product for them. And I think the number one mistake I have made or, or companies that I've been involved in have made is we have one giant client who has a lot of glory that the board gets excited about. They talk about you know their brand name. They love your product if you would just do this. And then we did mm-hmm. this and it turned out either they were the only one or they didn't even follow up on it afterwards because new management took over and then they were just done with your project later. I've seen that a lot. I've, I've been there too. <sighs> yeah, seriously. No good. I'm so confident every time. Like what could be more confidence inducing than somebody paying you $5 million for one product type? Um, yeah, I think, I think that brings in, you need a, a good deal of, of systems within your, your development process because all the time and me coming from the sales side, you know, I would hear something in a conversation with a prospect and say, Oh, that's great. Let's go do that. Let's go build that. And we would build it. And we realized it was just that prospect who needed it. Nobody else needed that. And we just wasted a ton of development time and had a lot of opportunity costs on what we could have built instead. Yeah. And I say that like, I'm never going to do it again, but I'm going to do it again. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's natural. It's okay. Uh, it's and right. then I think the third one is, uh, uh, I'm quoting Rand Fishkin frequently today, but I consume a lot of his stuff and I think it's brilliant. So it's hard not to. Uh, so one of his other ide- uh, ideas that he just recently just kind of, he just nails the quote. He just gets it so concise, which is that uh, I'm going to paraphrase the value of uh, the value of the marketing channel is often invert, uh, uh, inversely correlated with the value that you get from the channel. And so 
we in startup land are constantly trying to prove things. We're testing things and we're looking there as opposed to just knowing that this is the right thing to do. And I think this is true on like content marketing as a channel. You like, uh, all I know is my organic traffic goes up every single month. I started a podcast six months ago to good God, what a hard thing to actually attribute value to. And then we have a bunch of other brand initiatives, but if we keep doing all of these, it kind of like, Modern content marketing really goes back to the old brand marketing, which uh, with that that famous quote, uh, 50% of my marketing is not working. I just don't know which half. And uh, yeah. you got to keep doing the right things and move it there. And I think that's true of your culture as well. Going back to what I just said, invest more and more in your culture and your people. Your business trends are going to go up and down. But if you have a strong team that can nimbly respond to it, you like working there. This is your job every day. You should love it. They should love it. Uh, it'll come back and pay off even if you can't measure it and tell the tell your board that uh, you got an 85% return on investment for your last company offsite. Yeah, I think that's the gold right there. Invest in your team and, and make sure that you have a good, strong culture and a good, strong, you know, positive environment. And I think you can handle and, and adjust to whatever happens. I love that. That is gold, Steve. Well, cool. Well, this has been really awesome. Again, for everybody out there, we've been talking with Steve Pockross from Verblio, and he's dropped a lot of great knowledge for us. But Steve, where can people get in touch with you? Where can they learn more about what you're doing at Verblio? Great. Uh, a few places. Uh, you can come to our website, www.verblio.com. Verblio is verb, V-E-R-B-L-I-O.com. Um, we try to keep the content really fun and engaging. We want our website to be as fun as possible. So we hope you get lost in there. We just wrote a, uh, a piece about our COVID dictionary of words that should exist in COVID land that we think is super <laughs> funny. Um, funny. And, uh, and have a lot of times with all the word nerds on our team. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, and then also we started our podcast, uh, The Verlio Show, which is for digital marketers uh, and anybody interested in marketing in general. Um, and you can find that on all your major podcast platforms. That's really cool. And for everybody listening, I will have that stuff in the show notes. So go ahead and click there and you'll be able to get yourself to where you need to be. But Steve, this has been awesome. So thank you so much for coming on. Matt, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And for everybody else, thank you for coming. Take care. Have a good one. See ya. Thank you for listening to Sastery in the Making. Join us next episode for another look into how today's visionaries are creating the next generation of innovation.